0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello, and welcome to the podcast for another casual Friday chat. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. So, our first episode this week was about uh, the much adored by me, Georges Sand.
1: <laughs> I adore Georges Sand also. It's
0: just so fabulous. <laughs> it just I just love the whole idea of her um yeah, it's interesting. She's one of those ones where, um, because she was so connected to so many other really important people in in history, like she's one mm-hmm. of those nexus point people um and i I even mentioned in the episode that you know my time travel dream would be to go back to her house at Noant when Delacroix was there and hang out um but it, it is we, – we talked about it on the show several times that her life was a very full and rich one. She did not shy away from adventure. She was very, um, very much a social butterfly. So, like, it was shockingly difficult to kind of pick through and be like, okay, these are the key things we have to discuss. Mm-hmm. And then figure out, like, what other things you can include that flesh that out without it getting overly complicated – it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky. I always worry particularly about the her falling out with Chopin and, like, how that played out with her daughter Solange. And we didn't get into it much in, in the episode, but we mentioned that Chopin had come to think of her children as his own in many ways. And, I mean, when you consider they were together nine years and lived as a family and, like, during that time, Solange in particular was a, a little kid Mm-hmm. Not a little little kid, but you know, a, a young girl. When he met her, and then she had, he was really there for her very formative years and her becoming a young woman and and eventually getting married. And so, I can understand why he would have felt the closeness with her and the desire to not just cut her out of out of his life, right? Because of this financial argument that was going on. And then I think about how George Sand felt so completely betrayed by all of that. Yeah, which is fascinating.
1: Well, and I I feel like that's um, a scenario that that has been played out throughout history, including today. Like, I for sure know people who, like, maybe they had uh, been divorced but had a child and uh, had a relationship with someone else afterward that became, like, a parent for their child. And then when that relationship ended, like, what that meant for their relationships with each other and their family unit that had existed. Like
0: Yeah, it's a um a complicated thing, right? The mix the blending and and separation of families creates some very, very specifically odd tensions that mm-hmm. are are different and because everybody involved has loved one another at some point, presumably if they have reached a point of argument where they feel that they don't want to be around that person anymore. There is so much depth of hurt feeling that, like, I think it's impossible to untangle any logic out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't figure it out. So I I think probably there is a, a tendency on some people's part to sort of vilify Georges Sand in all of that and be like, what a terrible mother. But clearly she and her daughter had a very volatile relationship anyway. Um, you know, they butted heads now and again, and she probably felt very hurt by the whole thing. Oh, for sure. And it's worth remembering that her son-in-law did pull a gun on her. Like, there yeah, there are, there are factors in there. Um, There's a lot. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I, we talked about a good bit in the episode, but I just feel bears repeating, is the role of Manseau in Georges Saint's life. He kind of gets eclipsed by Chopin because mm-hmm. he was not famous, but she couldn't have done all that she did in her later years without him. Yeah. Like there's just no way she could have accomplished as much writing and and managed her life as well as she did without this person who kind of just silently took care of her and and did everything she needed so that she could just pursue her artistic endeavors.
1: Yeah, one of the things that's interesting to me about that is that a lot of in a lot of cases uh when there is a male uh author or musician or artist or whatever who has a wife or a girlfriend or some other woman who is making it possible for him to do that work. Um, a lot of times that just sort of passes without comment. Yeah. But like not so much the case with Jorsan because the gender was
0: yeah different. Yeah. And it's one of those things I think it's easy for people to forget that uh in a relationship like that where one person is is pursuing creative endeavors, or or just you know leads a, a very demanding life, and the other person is maybe you know running house and home like that is serious labor mm-hmm. to manage all of the day to day affairs of a person who is like that. Uh, so I I hate that it goes unsung for anybody. Yeah, it is also unique in the, like you said in the case of Georgeson because uh, probably at her. In the 1800s, there were not a lot of cases like that where not as many now, where the man would be like, "No, no, I will, I will just take care of you and be your, be your." I don't know that he I, could be categorized as her muse, but yeah, uh, you know, be the be your support system. I got you.
1: Yeah, you uh, you hear a lot more about um, like prolific women writers. You hear a lot more about uh, ones who were single for most of their lives. Um. Like that's that's been a common theme in previous episodes. Uh, you don't hear as many historical stories about supportive male partners who made their work uh, that made their work possible.
0: Yeah, I mean it's very telling that when her son was like, he's got to leave. She's like, all right, yeah. I'm going with him. Um, it's interesting to me that that was the the choice they went with rather than like digging in and fighting over. Noon. It was mm-hmm. just like, all right, then we'll both leave. We'll just go. Yeah, yeah, George Sand. Who doesn't want to wear frock coats? I just don't even know.
1: Yeah, it's uh, there was a, a meme floating around. I think Twitter at some point recently that was like, "What is your very specific fiction trope?" And mine was like, "Woman writer who lives in defiance of the norms expected because of her gender." Uh, which has just been, like, I've researched several episodes for the show that have been along that theme, uh, but this one was yours.
0: Yeah, and because she did live so large, she's just a fascinating creature. Yeah. I suspect she'd be great fun to hang out with. And I am just, man, I have to admire her hustle. Like, the fact that she would be entertaining people, finish a party at, like, 3 or 4 in the morning and be like, well, I got to go write my 20 pages for the day. What?
1: Yeah, it's I can't. As someone who has done National Novel Writing Month, I think five times, the idea of maini- maintaining, like, that level of productivity just forever. Uh, Decades. Yeah, yeah. Not even Decades. within my scope
0: of reality. I get exhausted writing an episode of this show every week. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine doing 20 pages a day every day. And as a consequence, she in some ways felt like while other people lauded her as being a genius, I mean, Balzac talked about like she is the best writer living and anybody that doesn't recognize that is an idiot. Um, But she kind of just thought like, I'm just grinding, man. I'm not even – she didn't think she was making art. She just thought she was making – Commercially accessible content for people because mm-hmm. she had to keep supporting all of the people in her life that that she was paying for their support, and so she didn't she wasn't precious about her writing at all. it seems right. She was just churning it out, so she didn't think of herself in that that way of like i'm a I'm a genius i'm yeah know, just, I'm making this amazing She's like, I'm just making stuff that I got to sell. I got to make money. She was all hustle,
1: yeah, uh, so our other episode this week. A bit of a gear shift. A total gear shift from that, because uh, it was a Six Impossible Episodes. Folks who really have been listening to the show for a long time and love those um, had remarked that it had been a while since we had done a Six Impossible Episodes, but our live show in Gettysburg last summer was like Six Impossible Episodes in Disguise. It was a hundred percent researched and written in the same way as Six Impossible episodes are, but I didn't call it that because I didn't think people walking down the street in Gettysburg who saw it on the like the poster would know what would that understand, meant. right? So yes. I just didn't call it that. Um, the way this one came about, uh, two things happened. One is because I cannot add, I had thought that this year was the 50th anniversary of the Greensboro Lunch Counter Sit-Ins. It's the 60th. Uh, But I had flagged that as an episode, like, with it in my calendar in big capital letters, like, by February 2020, do this thing. And then I was like, oh, it's actually the 60th. (laughs) That's still fine that it's the 60th. Uh, But, like, I had had that written, like, penciled in for months and months. Um, And we were in um, Washington, D.C. last year. Um, for a show at the National Gallery of Art. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever I'm in Washington, D.C., if I have time, I try to get to a, a museum, um, usually one of the Smithsonian museums because that's usually convenient to where we are, but it depends. Uh, this time, um, I went to the Museum of the American Indian, and one of the things that I saw was a brief thing about the ins. And when I, I was like, oh, we should totally do an episode about that. And when I got back to my desk... Um, As I was doing my preliminary search on things, I was like, oh, I'm not sure if this will uh, be enough for a whole episode. And I was like, oh, what if it were a companion piece to the Greensboro lunch counter thing? Um, And so we could have the Greensboro lunch counter, other sit-in movement episode, and then this six impossible episodes. I very easily found the other five things to go in the six impossible episodes. And then when I got into more thorough research about it, I was like, okay, this fish-in movement could have been a whole episode by (laughs) itself easily. (laughs) But at that point, I was too far into it to be able to walk it back. Um, especially the the legal angles of all of it. Like, there were so many court cases and so much going on in terms of uh, legal arguments and taking things to court. Like, that could have been um, an episode on its own. Uh, but at the same time, we've got it somewhat covered in the
0: six impossible episodes now. <laughs> that particular <laughs> segment of that episode was delightful to me, only in that... um the subject matter is difficult because it really always sucks to talk about and to examine the ways that indigenous peoples have been just treated so poorly. Uh, But because it happened in the Pacific Northwest where I lived as a kid, I did not struggle with all of the native names like I would normally. (laughs) Right. Like I could say Puyallup because I live there and Snohomish, very, very natural to me. Uh, That was, uh, that part of it was nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I said this in the episode, but, like, I really did just, I got so angry. And I know there are still people living in the area who feel like there is an unearned level of privilege going on, rather than it being, these are literally fishing rights that were guaranteed by treaty all the way back in the 19th century. Like, I know there are still people who are are angry about it, and they may write to us. I don't have a lot, I, I was so frustrated by so many of the arguments that were made by, uh, the sport fishing community during all of that—it made me really, really angry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't know if I have anything else to
0: add about uh, this particular six impossible episodes. I mean, I will say we um, we have had many, many requests over the years for us to talk about various things um, related to the AIDS epidemic, and we have both been a little a little trepidatious about it because we have both lost people.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, and I remember you had talked about how upsetting this was. And I remember reading through it and I was like, but I can handle it. I could not handle it. No, we, 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 we had, had many a lot stops of, and starts.
1: We had a lot of stops. I had an acquaintance and this has been recently. Like I, I had an acquaintance who had survived the height of the eighties. Um, and then in much more recent years, Um, lost his job, lost his insurance, lost access to his HIV medication, and was so ashamed about being HIV positive that he didn't tell anyone. And nobody knew that anything was the matter until he was in the hospital with opportunistic infections. And I'm still so angry that he died, that anytime I try to talk about it, it, like, just viscerally infuriates me which makes it really difficult to record even, like, a one-sixth of an episode on the subject.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I lost a very beloved dance teacher, uh, several friends when I was in college. Uh, You know, having been on, like, the theater and art scene a lot, they were definitely uh, coming up in the late 80s, and, you know, I would— get in my car and uh, drive to grown-up places and make grown-up friends. So I mm-hmm. kind of had a lot of friends that were just older enough than me that I saw probably more than the average teenager in the late 80s um, mm-hmm. of people who were struggling and dying as a consequence of some of these these slowdowns that were being protested in in the ACT UP movement and continue to be. And it's one of those things too that like I I'm glad that you specifically called out that this is something that is ongoing and that ACT UP is doing these these protests even today to be like this is not history. There are still people living with AIDS today that need supportive assistance that need additional education. I mean, we've done so much in the medical community in some ways, but in other ways, there is still this—now there's almost, like, a weird second wave of stigma of, like, mm-hmm. I thought I thought we fixed that.
1: No. Like, among
0: people particularly that did not grow up in, in the 80s. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I mean, I do AIDS walk every single year and have for I don't even know how many years. And it's, like, there are still people telling their stories about how they, you know, uh, contracted HIV through a variety of ways that they weren't even aware of. You know, were possible at the time because there is a gap in education in some ways yeah. because people think it's a historical event and not an ongoing thing. But also, there are still people that are are thriving and living with HIV, and uh, but they still need support in some ways. So, I it is a cause very near and dear to my heart. Consequently, very hard to talk about this ugly, ugly part of our history.
1: Yeah, we um, we stopped uh, more times in that one sixth of this episode. Then I think we've had to stop for anything else in recent memory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh.
1: So anyway, that's also why when I I I didn't do the episode in strictly chronological order, um, because I didn't want that to be the note that we ended on, even though it was really a really important note. Uh, I didn't want it to be too early in the episode because I didn't want it to be overshadowed, and I didn't want it to be the last thing that we talked about because I wanted to end on a note that did not feel quite as uh, devastating as that one did. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I think that's that's what we had to talk about today. So, if you'd like to write to us about this or any other podcast or a history podcast at iHeartRadio.com, if you have sent us something to the other old email address recently, we probably got that too. Uh, we just aren't able to reply to everyone um, frequently. So, Uh, That's our email address. We're also all over social media at Missed in History, which is our Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, and Instagram. And you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, anywhere else you get podcasts. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.